But this is a special service this morning, talking about Easter, the Easter story, what God has done, and how good He is to His people. You know, I don't think you can hear the Easter story enough. It's, it's amazing what Christ did for each of us. And the thing about the Easter story is that it is a true story. Okay? Uh, sometimes you'll watch a movie and it says based on a true story. And so it's, sometimes it's quite a ways off of the true story, but it's got some facts, right? Well, I've got to tell you that this story, the Easter story, is not just based on a true story. It is a true story. You know, in our time where we're getting flooded from the internet, from news stations, and so often we're hearing things that are people's opinions or sometimes completely fabricated just because someone doesn't like someone. And after a while, it starts to get you wonder what you can believe. Is it true? Is it made up? On social media, you'll get a picture of a famous person and somebody copy and pasted some words of their own and you're like, did that person really say that? Probably not, but it looks good on the picture. And so in our day and age, we start to become doubtful of the things we hear. And I believe sometimes people even take that to God's word. Is it, is it really true? You know, because I read someone said that it was, you know, this. And it, I want to just settle something once and for all. This is true. And the story we're talking about is a true story. It's not fabricated. It's not made up. There were eyewitnesses that saw it and wrote it down. So this story is true. So look at someone and say, this is a true story today. This is a true story. Go ahead, tell someone, this is a true story. <laughs> All right. Thousands of years ago, God spoke to men and women called prophets, and he told them things that would happen in the future. Now, these men and women that he spoke to were uh, ordinary people, some of them different, some of them uh, bold, some of them you might say a little crazy, but God used them, and God gave them words to speak to his people. And back in those times long before Christ, God would speak by his Holy Spirit to certain individuals, and they would tell the people. Now today, the Holy Spirit can speak to any of us. God still speaks to people and you know, says, give a word like pastors and that. But in those days, it was very, the prophets spoke about what would happen. And people listened. You see, the prophets at that time, if they just spoke a word of their own or they spoke a word that was not true, they could actually be stoned. So you didn't have people going around like, yeah, I'm a prophet, I'm going to make something up. It wasn't a good idea. When they spoke, they were hearing from God. And the people respected that, and the people listened, and sometimes were afraid, sometimes doubted. But when those prophets would give a word, the people would write it down, they would listen, they would contemplate, is this word for now? Is it for a little while down the road? Or is this like a long way down the road? But those prophets were faithful, to give the word that God gave them. God spoke 
through different ones. I believe God speaks today as well. He speaks through people, individuals all different. When we look at those prophets, we see some wild men. Elijah was, it said he was hairy. And there's a story where they said, well, what did he look like? Oh, he was all hairy. Was, oh, that's Elijah. So he stood out. But then Elijah, the guy who followed him was Elisha. And we know that Elisha was bald. So yes, God speaks to bald people too. Look at someone and encourage them. Okay. <laughs> so all different people, but people that were faithful. And I want to read to you just a couple of those prophecies about Jesus and about what would happen at this time that we call Easter. And it would happen many, many years later. But God spoke it from the beginning. Isaiah 7, 14 is one of those prophecies. All right, then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Here the word comes out about what will happen, that God himself will be born in the flesh, his spirit to a virgin. In Isaiah 53, verse 4, we read another prophecy. And it says this, Yet it was our grief he bore, our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was wounded and bruised for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was lashed and we were healed. We, every one of us, have strayed away like sheep. We who left God's paths to follow our own. Yet God laid on him the guilt and sins of every one of us. When they heard this back at that time, you wonder, what were they thinking? They must have been wondering, what does he mean? Somebody's going to pay the price because you see, at that time, they sacrificed animals for sin. They would sacrifice lambs and they would sacrifice calves and there was just sacrifices all the time to cover sin. But here, they're getting a picture that there would be a sacrifice, someone. And you see, when they made a sacrifice, it had to be a perfect offering. If it was a lamb, it had to be a perfect lamb. But there'd never ever been a perfect person. But they heard this word and they knew there was a day coming when it would happen. And finally, another prophet in the New Testament, we read about a prophet named John. And interesting, the prophet John was also a hairy, wild guy, much like Elijah. And Scripture says he came in the spirit of Elijah before Christ. And John, while he was out baptizing saw Jesus coming, and he had these words to say, and the prophecies continued, and John confirmed that they're about to happen. John 1.29, it said, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus had not even started his ministry yet, and the prophetic word is coming that he would be a sacrifice for the world. Now the Easter story 
There are many details, and you can read it in each one of the Gospels. It covers a number of chapters in each of the Gospels. If you're interested in reading it today and all the details, you can find it in Matthew chapter 26 to 28, Mark chapter 14 to 16, Luke 22 to 24, and John 8 all the way to 21. John has quite a few more details, more conversations that happened. But obviously, it's the last couple chapters in each of the Gospels if you want to look at that today and get the details. I'm going to tell the story without going to each verse. But I want you, as we look at this story this morning, to put yourself there. Think, what would it have been like to be there? Where would you have been if you were there? Would you have been in the crowd watching? Would you have been amongst the 12 or the 70? What would you have been thinking? So put yourself there this morning as we tell the Easter story. And I have to say this, if you want to really put yourself there, it means that all of us would have to go there and all of us would be wearing dresses. Oh, sorry guys. But anyhow, they, they were tunics. But everybody had the same outfit pretty much. Where would you have been? Would you have been sitting beside Thomas who doubted everything? Or would you have been on the crowd who just liked the miracles? I wonder what he's going to do now. Or would you have been beside Peter ready to chop someone's ear off if necessary? Where would you have been? Each of your personality would determine probably where you'd sit. But let's look at the story, and I'm going to tell it best I can is how it happened. You see, Jesus spent Passover. He had a meal with his closest disciples, the twelve. And some of the women were there as well, and they broke bread. And he said, break this bread with me. This is going to be my body sacrificed. And they drank from the cup, and he said, this is going to be my blood shed. Jesus, earlier before this, had clearly told his disciples, after Passover, I'm going to be crucified. He gave them clear words, but they didn't hear it because they didn't want to hear that. Some of them believed he would be an earthly king and that he would overtake the Romans and give them earthly freedom, but his plan was eternal. It was far greater than earthly. Jesus takes his followers after eating and goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's late, and he begins to pray, and he asks some of his closest to follow him and come pray with him. And it says that he prayed, and he groaned, and he sweat drops of blood. It was intense prayer, and he was praying, God, do I really have to go through this? Finally, he said, oh, not my will, but your will be done. His closest disciples fell asleep because it was late. And they didn't see the time, the importance of the hour. Jesus finally comes and says, my time is at hand. The person who's betraying me is here. He says it and Judas comes walking through the garden with a whole pack of people with him with swords and 
it was the priests and the priests' guards, if you will, their police. And Judas gives him a kiss. It was a greeting in those days. Kiss on the side of the cheek, men and women. And Jesus says, why are you betraying me with a kiss? They arrest Jesus and one of the disciples takes a sword and he's trying to obviously kill someone, but he chops off an ear. Jesus says, put up your sword. Don't you know that if I asked the Lord right now, he would send legions of angels to protect me? But he didn't call for them because he knew he had to be this sacrifice. The disciples all flee. But Peter tries to stay close. Peter is there and he's seeing what's going on. You see, the elders took Jesus off. And now they're questioning him and they're trying to get him to say something that would be worthy of death. Peter is hanging around as close as he can and people recognize him. And the servant says, aren't you one of those guys that was with Jesus? And he says, no, not me. I don't even know him. And he moves off and a little while later, another person comes and says, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure you're from Galilee and you're one of the guys that was with Jesus. And again, he said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know Jesus. You see, Peter had said not too long before this that he said to Jesus, I will never deny you. I will even die with you. But in the moment, in the pressure, the opposite was happening. And Jesus at the time he said it, told him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Now that's not a word anybody wants to hear. And finally, a third time, someone comes to Peter and says, I can tell by your accent, you're from Galilee, you are one of them. And this time, Peter swears and says, no, I am not. And by swear, I mean he said something like this, I swear to God, I don't know who he is. And when he does that, he hears the rooster crow. And instead, he began to weep and he went away. Feeling the conviction and the, the bitterness of knowing when the pressure was on, he couldn't stand. But Jesus would forgive him. In the morning, finally, the priests and elders decide to take Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. They've decided they want him killed, but they want the Romans to do it for them. They take Jesus to Pilate. <clears throat> And Pilate asks some questions and says, I don't see anything worthy of death. He even realizes they brought him simply because they're jealous. And he says, you know, every year at this time we release a prisoner and he decides, I know what I'll do. I'll choose the worst prisoner we've got and I'll give them a choice. And he says, you can have Barabbas or you can have Jesus. And the elders, the Religious people worked up the crowd and they choose Barabbas over Jesus. 
Because of jealousy, they turn the entire population against Jesus that's standing there to the point where Pilate says, well, what do we do with Jesus? And they begin to holler, crucify him. The same people who had watched him heal, the same people who probably had relatives who were healed, and now they're shouting, crucify him. Simply being persuaded by those who were jealous. Pilate doesn't know what to do. His wife has actually sent him a message and said, I had a dream last night about this man. Don't touch him. And Pilate says, well, I'm going to wash my hands of this. In other words, I'm not going to be responsible for his death. And he washes his hands as if to say, this is not on me, but you do whatever you want. And then Jesus is handed over to the Roman soldiers. Jesus is whipped and flogged. They take and they beat him with a whip that has pieces of metal in the end of the whip. And they rip his body with that whip. And he took it for you and I. You see, because he said... His body would be broken and his body would be broken for our healing. Every beating he took was for you and I that we might receive and experience healing through him. Every drop of blood that was shed was shed to forgive yours and my sin. After whipping him, we're told that the soldiers put a robe and a crown of thorns on Jesus. And then they put a reed in his hand and they mocked him. They said, oh, king. They made a joke of it and it says they took that reed and they beat him on the head, driving the thorns into his head. When they were done mocking, they took off the robe and they led him back to be crucified. We're told in one of the Gospels that he didn't have the strength even to carry the cross all the way to the hill of Golgotha. They found a man to carry it for him. When he came to Golgotha, they laid him on the cross and they nailed him to it. A nail through this wrist and a nail through this wrist and a nail through his feet. They hung him there before the crowds to watch. And they hung two thieves, one on either side. And it says that the people began to mock Jesus once again. Looking up at him, making fun, hollering, Hey, if he's the Son of God, why doesn't he save himself? He said he could save others. Let's see if he'll come down. Laughing and mocking. The Romans hung a sign above his head on the cross that said, King of the Jews. Once again, mocking the Jews and mocking him. They gamble over his clothes. And he sits there, hanging in pain for you and I. He'd done nothing wrong. And you need to understand, at any moment he could have said, Lord, it's enough, and angels would have come and take him. He stayed there for you and I. He knew 
the price had to be paid. As the crowd is mocking him, Jesus looks out and he says these words. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Hours later, Jesus hollers out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They put vinegar on a sponge and they put it up to him thinking maybe he wants a drink. And he doesn't need a drink. And finally, not long after, he hollers out these words, It is finished. And he dies. Jesus said, no man will take my life, but I will lay it down. And he knew that every drop of blood was about to be done. He knew the price now had been paid. He knew that death was here, and he shouted out, it is finished. The price paid once and for all. The devil thought he'd won. The devil thought, I've got him now. He had no idea. Because you see, Christ would not stay in a tomb. They took his body and they wrapped it. And they put it in a tomb. The disciples and those who were following felt that it was over, but it was not over. Because he had prophesied he'd be crucified. He'd also prophesied that after three days, he would rise again. But I don't think any of them were thinking it at that time. You see, early Sunday morning, the ladies brought spices to come to put on his dead body. Spices for burial. Even though they knew that he said he'd be raised in three days, they weren't expecting it. The ladies came to do that. The men were actually hiding out. Mary Magdalene and other women with her were coming to the tomb to bring those spices. And when they got there, the stone was rolled away. There was an angel there instead, and the angel looked and said, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Can you imagine the lady's thoughts? What? We're told in one of the Gospels that Mary then sees someone walking. She thinks it's the gardener or the caretaker for the tomb. And says, where did you take him? Suddenly she realized she's talking to Jesus, risen from the dead. She goes to grab him and he says, don't grab me yet. I haven't yet been glorified. I haven't yet ascended. But he tells Mary Magdalene, go tell your disciples. Go tell the disciples. Tell them I'm alive and I'm going to meet them. I'm headed to Galilee. That's where I'm going to meet them. Mary and the women go back and they tell the disciples, he's not there. He's risen. The tomb is empty. And it says that some of the disciples thought, what are they saying? But John and Peter run to the tomb, and sure enough, it is empty, just as he said. Jesus then reveals himself to the disciples at different times, and finally, 
He has them all together and he gives them their final command. And he says to them, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Go and tell them this good news. The fact that the price has been paid and their sins can be forgiven. They can be made new. It says that's going to be your job. And as he blessed them, it said he rose up through the clouds to be seated on the right hand of the Father. You see, this Easter we have something to celebrate. And we are not to keep it to ourselves. It is the greatest story of all time. It's true. And it's for us and it's for others who have not yet heard. Jesus paid the price and he is risen.